Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Becoming CEO AF podcast. I'm your host, Kimba Garcia. And I'm your co-host, Amanda Bell. Amanda is actually here virtually with us. She is in Mississippi, but with me in her chair today is one of a very special soul that we recently met that touched us in so many beautiful ways. And I'm very excited for her to be here sharing her mission and her story with you guys. So you guys, welcome to the podcast, Miss Dr. Tanya Stafford. Manning. Manning. I did forget it again. I was like, no girl, I can remember two last names. Dr. Tanya Stafford Manning with the It's Going to Be Okay. Is it foundation after that or charity? Mm -hmm. It's just, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay, which is a 501c3 charity that is located right here in Dallas, Fort Worth. And your mission is very special and important. Very special and important. And what she does is she helps survivors of sex trafficking transition back into a normal and healthy life for not only themselves but for their children. And so um, we actually met Dr. Tanya at a networking event. We actually had Casey, I was telling you we had Casey, the CEO of Success Success North Dallas on our last podcast, just the one we we recorded right before this one and we were actually chatting about getting to meet you there. And I shared with her, you know sister, when I went there that morning, I prayed for the opportunity to be able to get involved with a charity that was specializing in helping survivors of sex trafficking get back into a new life. That was a calling that Amanda and I had been given and we had been praying for that aligned relationship and we walked in and there you were. And so we really, really appreciate your time being here, sister, because I know that you have, I know you stay busy helping these ladies. I know that you barely even sleep. You stay so busy helping these ladies. And I almost hated to take you away from the impact to to bring you in here, but I want everybody in, not just the community, but the nation and the world to know what you're doing and the mission that you stand behind. So if you don't mind, sister, we're gonna turn the mic over to you. Will you tell us a little bit about yourself and it's going to be okay? Okay, I'm so glad to be here. Thank y'all for having me. I think we discussed that day as well that y'all thought I left. Yeah. And I was on another Zoom call because I'm always doing something. And I came back in and it was divine. And I shared with y'all who I was, really who I was. And who I am is a human trafficking survivor. I was sold at the age of 13 by my mom for drugs, right here in Dallas, Dallas, Texas. And the man that bought me kept me for 10 years. During that time, I was raped, beaten, and almost killed. I had three children while I was in captivity. And I went to three different hospitals and nobody asked anything. So now I teach the hospital staff as well what to recognize when the young ladies come in my life was a life of isolation. Um, it was dependent on my survival skills. So I had a foundation with my grandmother. My grandmother taught me how to cook, clean, comb the girl's hair, cut the boy's hair. So I, was, I had a foundation with her until my mom came back and said she got herself together. So what people really have to understand as well, during uh, the time before I was sold, I was also being molested and raped by her husband. So he came in, and I wasn't a fatherless child, was not a fatherless child, my father was in our life. And then all of a sudden, he couldn't be in our life anymore because her husband, and told us that, you know, he was our new daddy, but what he seen was her three girls. You know, so he raped and molested and abused us. 
and he would beat the boys. And so we went, we endured that for quite a, quite a t bit of time. And then we ended up in the projects, you know, latchkey kids. And that's where my perpetrator started coming. So it's a poor community, you know, being, um, I don't know if a lot of people know about what the projects are. The projects are, you know, they put you there and it's, you go for what you know. So it's no way out, a way in, but no way out when you look at the poverty around you. And probably a lot of girls went missing um, in that community, but nobody asked any questions. Most of the time when they went missing, we thought, oh, they were with the aunt, cousin, or some family member. Um, but my perpetrator had already seen me and made the transaction with my mom to, to buy me. And he impregnated me at 13. Had her at 14, and he took possession of me at 14 and kept me for 10 years. And it was my neighbor. My neighbor was the one that seen something. She said something and she did something. So not only that day did she save one life, she saved four lives, because it was all four of us. And she ended up, she just kept telling me that she was gonna help me. She was gonna, you know, I didn't believe her. I didn't believe her, because I, I was there for so long. Yeah. And I didn't believe that anybody would, had even seen me or heard me. So I was like, ah, you're just talking to, and you know, keep in mind, I was going, um, doing this time, another dynamic that changed in our life was he started taking us to church. So, you know, church on Wednesday and Sunday, and they weren't any help because I tried to tell them that I was there against my will. I had been, you know, been raped and, you know, he had bought me and they told me to be quiet. Like, don't say that anymore. Like, I talk about those church folks. Yeah. You know, church folks, and it's the difference between church folks and God folks. I agree. And, you know, the God folks mm -hmm. was my neighbor that restored my hope in people mm -hmm. because she really, really pressed for me to look at her. So during captivity, he spoke for me. He spoke for us. He spoke, you don't look at anybody. You don't talk to anybody. I do all the talking. You just do what I tell you to do. You'll survive. But that 10 years, he, he kept telling me, I could kill you and get away with it. And he was right. He was really right because he said nobody was looking for me. And he was right. Nobody was looking for me. So I just, I blended in, so to say, I blended in, you know, going about, I looked, we looked like a regular family, but it wasn't regular. He was beating me on a regular basis and raping me on a regular basis. And she just kept say, she just kept being persistent about speaking to me. How you doing every day? And I, I had lost hope by then because he had told me I was going to die there. He said, I'm going to kill you and bury you in the backyard, and I'm just going to tell people you ran off. And I thought that was going to be my life. Like, and I didn't want that to be my life because of my children. They were my three reasons for living. So they gave me strength every day to say, I can do this one more day. I can do this one more day. I can do this one more day. Every time their little hands would touch my face or their little feet, I just would get the strength to fight every day to get out. Like, I don't know how I'm gonna get out, but I know I'll get out one day. Maybe alive, but I know I'll get out because my grandmother always said, they can have your, your body, your everything. This doesn't matter. But if they get your mind, then they got you. So I would protect my mind. Anything that he told me, like you're, you're not worthy, 
you're not good enough, you you dumb, you're, you're not smart, you think you're smarter than me. I'll outsmart you any day, but all the time I'm just going somewhere else. And my neighbor, she was, you know, so persistent and coming across, I'll never forget. And she always, we, we talk about this to this day. She can remember what I had on that, that day that I finally spoke to her. She can remember everything about that day. And I told her everything. I just said, it's now or never. And she was like, I can help you. And I really thought she was crazy. And she kept saying, I can help you. Do you have an education? No, I don't. He took me out of school in my ninth grade year because I was pregnant the second time and questions would be asked. And then he you know, said, you won't go to school anymore. And it was like, I, that was my only safe haven was school. And then I told her, no, she's like, where's your mama? I don't know, she's the one that told me. And then she was like, well, where's your siblings? I don't know, they all went different ways after she sold me. She actually changed her number. She moved out the projects, changed her number. The last call that I made to her, and I was begging her to come home, and I was just like, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I promise I'll, I won't say anything about what your husband's been doing. I won't complain about anything. I, I just won't, I just, I just wanna come home. And she said, um, bitch, don't ever call me again. And she changed her number and I had no more contact with them. And that was it. Man, doctor, that it's a difficult, I yeah. applaud you for yeah. being able to tell that story with the strength that you have because I'm struggling over here. I'm gonna hold it together so we get through the podcast. But for people listening, I wanna take a second to say that as dark as that mm -hmm. is, it's so important that we bring light to the fact that it yeah. happens right here in Dallas-Fort Worth. <laughs> Dallas is number two in trafficking. We are number two out besides California. So, cause we border mm -hmm. all the highways and byways and we're not, we're not talking about it. It's, this is not a, a table talk. This is it's not, not, it's not a regular, Nobody wants you to know, talk, talk about, about, it. about it at dinner time, but we have to start having the conversations of protecting ourselves as women, protecting our children, um, because children are sold at a high rate. I deal with 18 and over, but they bring their children. So what we do when we rescue, restore, and rebuild them to reintegrate them into society, we're actually saving their generation. So you save one, you save a generation. 100%. And it's just one survivor at a time is what I focus on to say we gotta do better and we gotta have these conversations. We gotta, we gotta talk about rape, we gotta talk about molestation, we gotta talk about intergenerational trauma. Um, most of our girls come with intergenerational trauma, just like I did, yeah. you know, and I didn't know anything about, you know, what I was, you know, in and what had happened to me, but I knew it was wrong what had happened to me, but we don't talk about it. And especially in a black community, we don't talk about it. We don't talk about therapy. We don't talk about anything. So once I was rescued, once she saved me and my babies, we went immediately into therapy. And the one thing I didn't get to do was lie. See, I was taught to lie. I was taught to, you know, evade, you know, authority and different things like this. So my mom would get in trouble or, you know, he wouldn't get in trouble or anybody. So come in contact with police, you don't say anything. And we were taught that, but the one thing that I did not get to do was lie. And so I was naive to a lot of things. I was 20, I was 23 when I was rescued. So I was, they went from uh, 13, 14 to 23. Wow. And 
I just took a deep breath. I was just glad to be there. I was glad to be, my first house was called New Tomorrows. And she told me when I walked through the door that my new tomorrow began. <laughs> I love Yesterday that. was yesterday. Today is a new day. And to today you get a, a new start. So your new tomorrow is today. And I never forgot about that. And so I got to sleep, I got to eat, I got to just heal, I got to just heal. And the therapy was so important because I got to be, be with people. And my kids didn't get a chance to lie. And so they're so brutally honest now. <laughs> I'm just, they're 35, 35, getting ready to be 33. 30, uh, 31, and my daughter turns 26 tomorrow, so I have another child. Um, she's not a part of, of the trafficking, but I was always told, you know, just be quiet and hush them, but they sung like little birds, and I was glad that they did because we broke the cycle. We really broke the cycle, and they were able to not fall back into the cycle of you know, intergenerational trauma. Do they have their trauma? Yes, they have their trauma because they were part of my trauma. And, but what therapy taught us was, you can overcome this. Trauma is every day. Trauma is every day. I'm healed from certain traumas, but certain other traumas trigger me. And that's how come I'm still in therapy to this day, is to be able to deal with the young ladies that I deal with. We have, we see it all. We see the good, the bad, the ugly. We see it all. We see the, the mental illness from trafficking, from the trauma of trafficking, but you're dealing with their past trauma as well. And so we, we, gotta, we gotta deal with that as well. So I learned you know, through therapy and through other means of support, how to support them, but who better to help them than somebody that has been through it? And that's why I started It's Going to Be Okay. It's because I was just, you know, I didn't know what to name it. But I always remember my grandmother said, it's going to be okay. No matter what you go through, Tanya, no matter how bad it is, it's going to be okay. And so I named it, it's going to be okay. So when the girls come in, they'll say, what's the name of your organization? And I say, it's going to be okay. They're like, yeah, I know that, but what? <laughs> and it's like, it's going to be okay. And it's like, oh, I love it. Because yeah. it is going to be okay. And then I, I turn around and tell them, it's already okay. See, it started now. Yep. When you walk through the doors, when you walked into my arms, when you walk to me, it's going to be okay. It's already okay. And I love what I do. Like, I freaking love what I do. Yeah. It's a journey, but it's a journey that I love. It's a journey. It's my purpose. So, you know how they said, you really start living when you know your purpose. And that's where I am today in, in this journey, in this walk, helping them to see them graduate, to see them, to see their babies. I get to see the babies be born. I get to, I get to see their journeys. And that right there gives me hope. It gives me strength to keep going. Cause sometimes I ask myself, girl, what the hell are you doing? Why are you still doing this? Or why, why do you want to do this? And then I'm reminded when I get a text and just say, I'm just checking on you, Miss Tanya, or I love you. Without you, I wouldn't have made it. And I didn't go back. And that's what I celebrate. I celebrate all the little wins. It's not about the graduation and the big wins. It's about 
She didn't do meth today. She didn't smoke no weed today. She didn't lie today. So I celebrate all the little successes and that success by itself because it takes strength to not take meth on a regular basis. It takes strength not to shoot up heroin. It takes strength. And so we celebrate all of the little wins from all the girls that have come through. I call them girls, but they're, they're young women and their children. Their children get a fighting chance. And it takes strength when you don't have any hope and when the drugs are the only thing numbing it. Yep. I can imagine. And this is, this is a strange question I have for you, Tanya, but do you ever find yourself being grateful for what you went through when I you do. are? Because without that experience, I think you said something that was so powerful. Who better to help them than me? I've yep. been through it. Yep. And I'm sitting here thinking about, I'm grateful for how much that you survived, not only for yourself and your children and every generation of your lineage to come that did not repeat the cycle that yep. you came from, yep. but you've also extended that into multiple other women yep. and children. And without you surviving what you did, you wouldn't be leaving the impact that I would imagine your soul came here to be for those people. But yeah. to say that you have gratitude for something so dark and that yeah. I'm grateful that I got that experience so that I can be where I am today takes a different level of courage and healing yeah. to be able to get to. I learned a lot. I learned a lot from them because my, my story wasn't a story of drugs and alcohol to numb the pain. Mine was other things that I, I took everybody's children. I was trying to save the whole world and realize I can't do that. I have to have, you know, some help or somebody else have to help that yeah. person. But I am grateful. I'm grateful, um, not that I went through it, but I'm grateful for where I am today. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for surviving. I'm grateful for the survivorhood of to give back, to give yep. back and to learn and to continue to learn every day, every moment, every hour, every second. I'm grateful. I'm, I'm grateful to wake up. I really am. I wake up and I'm so happy when I wake up because I didn't have to wake up. God did not have to wake me up or let me do this one more day. But I'm, that's why I'm so grateful. That's why I be so happy. And I'm a morning person and my husband isn't. <laughs> but he be like, oh God, can you just turn, turn it down? I be so happy because I'm still here because I didn't, you know, I didn't have to be here. And he could have killed me, but I'm here to just do what I'm purposed to do. Happy and love. I am just, so grateful. Uh, happy and love say, just I Tanya. So Sorry, I have to tell him that she she literally walked in, hugged every single person between my office and the podcast studio, sister, when she came in. So I'm like, happy, loving, and grateful just is Dr. Tanya, guys. She can't even shake your hand. She's got to give you a big old yeah. hug. That is what she admits. I remember that yep. from when we met Tanya. Tanya, I remember you said, I'm a hugger. And I said, well, great, because I love hugs. Yes. And I remember having the same conversation with you about the name, yeah. you know, and, and and you said it's it's going to be okay. And I was like, I just love so much. I don't know if I thought that was a motto or if you were just sharing with me that it was going to be okay, but I did not grasp that it was the name of the foundation, yeah. you know, the charity that you've started for these women. I also just have to, just have to back up for just a moment. It's so wild. I, I'm so grateful as well, right? I'm so grateful, one, that God gave you that strong, beautiful grandmother who planted the seed of keeping your mind and your mental health first and foremost, regardless of any exterior object or, or substance that could come into play because 
Little did your neighbor know that it wasn't just going to be a life she saved and possibly four lives she saved. But from from you being able to escape and get out the hundreds upon hundreds upon thousands upon hundreds of thousands from this ripple effect that you're causing in this world is just from one person making that everlasting commitment and seeing it through to fruition of it's going to be okay is just wild. And I'm so grateful for all of that. And then putting such a strong soul in, in that, that space to be able to share that same message and hope and faith and love with every single other woman out there. I am curious, Tanya, how do you, how do you find these women? How do, how do you, find these women to offer the helping hand? What does that look like? Well, we uh, work with uh, closely with Homeland Security, so I, I, I go on operations, um, so I'm out there. And then I have a team of people that also, we go out by ourselves to identify victims or, you know, underage victims or those that want out. So there's, uh, we go to the track, we go to the track, but mostly law enforcement, hospitals call me. <laughs> Um, I don't think it's anybody that don't know who we are to reach out to us to help, to help. So we're, we're out there, we're boots on the ground, we're in the trenches to make sure mm -hmm. that they know that we are there and help is available. Um, is there a lot of places to put them? No, because right now our house is full and we had them in hotels a couple of, uh, you know, about four weeks ago we had hotels everywhere that was full of victims. and. No, not a lot of shelters. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the barriers that, you know, we have. But through, to answer your question, it's law enforcement, hospitals, social workers, everybody calls us. We get a call from everybody. Is there anything, Tanya, that, that you would say to people listening to this podcast on maybe how to identify? Because like you said, and I guess it's a two-part question, um, but you mentioned that you were leery to talk to the person that was mm -hmm. trying to help you, that mm -hmm. you didn't have the belief in humans at that point mm -hmm. because everybody that you had been around was not doing what they told you that they were, mm -hmm. that they were gonna be doing in your life. And now you're that person, right? Mm -hmm. So I guess I'm curious to what was it about her that made you know oh, it was gonna be okay to open and talk to her? And how do you utilize that when connecting with these young women now that are probably feeling the same way that you did at that age, thinking they're saying they're gonna help me. They're yeah. saying they care, right? Yeah. But to leave the situation I'm in and just trust you, Tanya, you yeah. just got here, girl. Yeah. Like that has to be the mindset of a lot of these women. It is, um, that's one of the things that we teach on. And how do you recognize, let me, ask, let me say that, is if someone's not looking at you or they're not talking, they're always looking down, um, especially a, one, a young woman of age, children are gonna, you know, they, they naturally do that when they when you're scared of you. But a young woman, if she's not talking and if that person's always talking for her, or if you're noticing if they're, they're behind some, you're behind them and then the person hands the ID for them, then you that's a problem. That's, red flags should go off everywhere. Because my, my husband doesn't hold my ID. I hold my own ID and different things like that. Um, so not talking to you, looking down, looking around, trying to figure out, they're trying to figure out a way of escape. And the second part of your question is, the first thing that I do is tell them, 
you shouldn't trust me. I have to earn your trust. She had to earn my trust. She spoke to me every day. Every day, I did not speak back. Every day, it didn't matter what was going on, she spoke. And then I said, it's now or never. She earned my trust. So when the young ladies come in or I, or I even approach them or even when we are in interviews and you know different things like that, you shouldn't trust me. You don't know me because guess what? They trust the trafficker. He's gonna offer, he offered them the same thing that I'm offering them. What's making me any different? You have to earn their trust. You have to give them a moment. And I told a young lady that this morning, I, I don't want your trust. I have to earn your trust. You have to earn my trust. But we're in this together. Like I literally had this conversation before I came here to talk to her. And she was like, you're right. I, I tell them that, don't, don't trust anybody. And that's the first thing for boundaries, is teaching them. And then I show them they need therapy. They need a place to stay, they need food. They need all the basic necessities. We give that to them. And then they start trusting you. It took one, one young lady, it took her two years to trust us because she was trauma-bonded to the trafficker. He goes on trial at the end of this month. So I'll be in trial when I come back from Jerusalem. But it took us two years, literally two years, because she was so bonded and it was like, we're doing all this stuff, but guess what? Even from prison, he was threatening her and he, was, he had her mind. And then she finally broke and said, I don't want to do this anymore. But we had to show her. We didn't make her, we didn't, we didn't stop doing anything differently. We continued to exhibit patience, grace, empathy, sympathy, and compassion. We had to understand where she came from in order for us to help her. And she finally said, okay, I'll testify, I need this. She finally broke away from him. Even in prison, he, have, he, have, he has women even taking care of him in prison right now. And she decided, I'm gonna trust y'all. No matter what, I'm gonna trust y'all. And we showed her. I gave her love, empathy, sympathy, and compassion. For about eight months straight, every time I would drop her off at the safe house and watch her go in, and, cause I, I, I try to give them their space. I would say, um, bye, have a good day. I love you. She never would say anything. She never would say anything. For eight months straight, every day she heard, I love you. And she finally said, I love you, Miss Tanya. I was dropping her off. And she said, I love you, Miss Tanya. And I had to call my, my friend Homeland Security. She's a victim advocate, Sarah. And I said, she just said, I love you. And we both are sitting in our cars crying because it was eight months. It's like eight months every day, I love you. She never had anybody to just tell her she loved. She was loved. She was beautiful. 
You are worthy to be here. I understand you were, you were stabbed 21 times and you survived. You survived for a reason. You're here for a reason. And that right there is my why. That's my why. And that's why I tell them, we have to earn your trust. My neighbor earned my trust. And we're still friends. We've been friends for over 25, 26 years, more. And we still call each other. And just, we, we pick up where we left off when we just have conversation. And, and she taught me so much. She taught me about forgiveness. Forgiveness wasn't for them, it was for me. She told me I could keep, I remember getting so mad at her because she kept, I was talking and I was ranting and raving about everything and she was just listening. And then she said, can I tell you something? I was like, not really, because I just want to, you know, I just want you to take my side. And she said, you can keep on harboring all this unforgiveness. It's like drinking poison, hoping the other person dies. You're gonna die first if you don't stop. And a light bulb moment went off. And then I told her, I was like, get out of my car. <laughs> Cause I just wanted her to take my side. And then I got down the road and I cried. And I just said, I forgive to do what I need to do. Cause she said I couldn't purposely do what I needed to do. Being angry, being bitter, being anything. I just couldn't do it. So that's why I'm not angry, that's why I'm not bitter, that's why I'm happy. And I love to hug because I wasn't touched in the right way. That was one of my homework assignments from my therapist. And I thought she was crazy. Go out and hug a stranger. And I remember being in Kroger. I never forget. I had to do my homework. I was so naive. And I was in line and this guy, he just kept talking. I was like, he just talking too damn much. <laughs> And then I turned around and I said, can I give you a hug? And he said, yes. And I hugged him. And we were, I was on my way out the door and so was he. And he said, I needed that hug. I was getting ready to go home and commit suicide. And I never forgot over 20 years. And I've been a hugger ever since. And I went back and I told my therapist, I'm a hugger now. <laughs> And I'm hugging everybody, and I never stop hugging. I never stop hugging in my speeches. I never stop hugging when I'm doing any events. I'm a hugger because I never know what they needed that day. And a lady told me that too. <laughs> she said, I lost hope. But today, the way you hug me, heart to heart, this is what it was about. I needed to be here. Now I got some strength to go on. And that's what it's about. Yeah. When I'm drained, I ask God to replenish me. And when you hug me, I gain strength. So that's what the hugging is about. I just love loving. Well, God is oh, sister, he loves loving through you. Yeah. Through you. If I have ever seen one of God's missions being fulfilled through a human soul on this planet more than you today, I just... I'm over the moon to have even met your whole soul, Dr. Titania. I just, your whole story, I just can't even fathom all of it. So it sounds like we need, we've got a list of items that we could use uh, to help gather to support your mission in this world, right? So we have that list, but it also, 
I remember chatting with you at the event in Dallas and, and just from hearing you chat today, it sounds like we definitely need housing. Yes. So housing is another big piece to the puzzle for you guys to continue to do what you do. Yes. Is there anything in the list or any other items that, that you can think of that maybe we can help spread the word on? No, you got that list and that's that's been so helpful. The pads have been amazing. They were so happy with Honeypot. <laughs> we got thousands and thousands, and I'm so happy. I was so happy. I was so happy. And the Pampers and the wipes, um, but the housing piece is uh, a big piece. That's a big piece. Um, and I'll tell you why, because we had, uh, you know, the young ladies in the hotel, and one, she was domestic violence, and I only take like 1% of domestic violence. And we put her in Plano, we put her in a hotel in Plano, and the, the story is, is public now. It was during Memorial Day weekend, and I was gonna go out there. We had already took our Pampers, wipes, you know, clothing, whatever we could give her right then, you know, because she left with the clothes on her back and was family domestic. And she went back to the house that she was assaulted at. And the grandmother convinced her to leave the two-year-old and the one-year-old there. And we got a call two hours later, the one-year-old had drowned. If we had had a house, I could have put her there so she couldn't go back, a safe place. So we buried him, well, we cremated him about a week, about two weeks ago, we cremated him. Um, it's going to be okay, pay for those services. We pay for those services. We have been helping her with grief counseling that was that one was hard for me. I had to go to extra therapy because um, I didn't know how I got there. I didn't know how I got there. He had just turned one. He was the most beautiful angel that you would ever want to see. And that right there got me. And I had to ask my therapist, well, why am you know why me? Because I, I would have told God, peace out, holler at you. I'm good. I ain't doing this. It's a baby. And my therapist said, why not you? You're the best one for this mission. And so I had to get past that and help the mom. And then I said, okay, we'll, we'll get through this. You know, I, I don't say anything because you don't know what to say. You just don't say anything. You just listen. You just really listen. And, and I don't listen to respond. I just listen. And she said, I want to tell you something. I wouldn't have made it if it wasn't for you because I was just going to, I, I, I want my baby. But you gave me strength enough to keep living because she has other babies to live for, three other babies to live for. And I was sitting there thinking, I said, if we had another house, we could have put her there. We could have put her and the babies there. If, even if she went back to gather some things, somebody at the house could have kept the babies. But we don't know what God's will is. Sure. We don't know, I don't question anything. And the lady at the cremation place, she said, she asked them, how long y'all been knowing Dr. Tanya? And she said, a couple of days before this happened. And she said, are you freaking kidding me? I thought this woman knew y'all. And she said, no ma'am, but she's been an angel to us. And that right there was my why for that day. 
when I sat in the car and I cried before I went into the cremation place, that was my why. And it was like, now we have to maybe prepare to have things like this to help the community as well, because it's a need. I seen a need, because he stayed in the morgue for three weeks. And they called and said, you know, we gotta do something, y'all gotta do something. And so I said, well, you know, this is how much we can pledge. And it wasn't in our budget, it wasn't in our budget. But what humanly, you have to help. And that's what we did. That's what it's going to be okay is here for. It's to help our community. It's to help the women like her. It's to help. Don't matter where you come from, we got to help and support them and love them and nurture them back to where they need to be. And they gain strength and then they go out and do it for somebody else. See, that's what right. it's about. That's what we call the ripple effect. Yes. And it doesn't end. It doesn't every, end. And that's what I mean. This is when we save and when we heal a generation, we heal generations and generations to come. Um, yep. And what I loved, Tanya, about everything that you're saying are the needs that are required to give these women somewhere so that they don't feel like they have to go back to where they were are basic needs. Basic needs. The roof. Yep. It's diapers. They yep. needed feminine products. Yep. The list that you gave us yep. was, it was panties. It was, yeah. it was sweatpants. It was yep. shower curtains. It was razor. It's, it's basic, basic necessities. necessities, right? Just to keep them from going back. That's right. We and that's what, I, that's what I want everybody in the community right now to really understand about what you're saying, yes. right? Is that guys, these generational cycles continue. And that if people that are in the projects that have no hope that they know that if somebody comes and takes them, nobody even comes looking for them. They give birth to children, they get on drugs to numb the pain, they repeat the cycle. The next generation repeats the cycle. Why does this matter? Because raising the vibration of a planet as a whole matters. And we're not just talking about, I'm gonna get personal right now because we're not just talking about the vibration of the planet. We're talking about the vibration of Dallas-Fort Worth, which yes. is my hometown, yes. girl. To know yes. that we are number two and that nobody is talking about it and we want to sit here and go to church on Sundays and keep our mouth shut and tell everybody to be quiet and play nice at dinner and we're not trying to talk about it. We need to make that change starting right here at home. We do. And it really starts with what you're doing and I appreciate it so much what you're doing and I know sister I know that you do I know that you could be working for more money. I know you could. <laughs> I know you could be spending your time somewhere that pours back into you this pours into you in a more powerful way, but I know, and I know that there are charities like yours across the entire globe that are underfunded, that are underknown about, that don't have enough resources, but that have needs and that are willing to meet those needs yep. and willing to be that. And yep. that's why Amanda, myself, and our great friend Kate started the Spirit of Agape Foundation was so that we can get involved and help come up with resources and volunteers to help missions like yours make it farther down the road because we see, yeah. I'll tell you, I'm proud of you. I love you and thank you and please keep going. And yeah. if there's ever anything, we, if you send me a text, you call me, we'll find it. We'll find the resources because we are yeah, so connected yeah. here in Dallas, Fort Worth. And we, you know, it felt like the smallest thing. I said, Tanya, what do you need? She's like, man, we need some diapers. I'm like, all right, let's get some, we need some diapers, we need some feminine products. We need some, let's get that together. Next thing I know, we got a closet full up here at yes. RKG from our tribe coming forward yes. and donating some of those items that the women need. And we're going to continue to do efforts like that to get these, to get these women 
um, the basic necessities that they need to continue moving forward. And now I feel on fire to figure out what we can do also to reach out to our resources and see what we can't do for housing and yeah. to start seeing what we can't do to to bridge that together. How many women a month are we talking that you that your foundation or that your charity typically supports? 20 a month. 20 but new ones a month come into the program. Yep. And that, that doesn't include um, the operations. There's getting ready to be a, a big operation in a few weeks. And it's going to be a lot of young women. There's nowhere to put them. There's not going to be anywhere to put them. And that's what we're okay. going to be preparing for. But we'll just try to stabilize them as best as we can. And we keep up with them to try to, you know, some of them don't have families to go back to. I didn't have anybody to go back to. I only had what I had. And that was to go forward. I had my neighbor. I leaned and pinned on her. But I only had it to go forward. I didn't have anything else to depend on. And you, th those are the situations that, you know, that we encounter with the young lady. So, yes, that's just 20. That's just the, the How count long the are they typically in your program and, and needing support before they, before they graduate out? Two years, two plus years. So they 20 can, new ones a month coming in hot at you for 24 months straight yeah. before they cycle out. Yep. It's a lot of needs, sister. Yes. yes. And you're finding a way to meet them. Yes. That's amazing. And Congratulations. And when they leave out, we do aftercare. Um, and we require them to do the therapy, um, to also, you know, find what they love, find what they, we don't tell them, we give them the option and the, the boundaries are, what do you like? And I figured that out years ago. And one of the young ladies that just graduated, she was saying, I was asking her, what does she want? Not what the kids want, not anything else. Like, what do you want? And she said, you know what? I've never been asked what I want. And then she told me what she wanted. It was just something simple. She wanted a, a king-size uh, comforter set. She didn't want anything elaborate. I just want a king-size comforter set. That was it. Yeah. And I did more than that anyway. <laughs> And I was like, okay, but we require them to save at least sixteen or twenty thousand, so they don't pay any bills. We help, we do, we pay all the bills. We do everything that we need to do. The church that you know, the church that does help me, yeah. uh, that donated the house. But we have apartments that we use. We have you know other people that will take them in, and so that's why it's so many. It's because they're everywhere. And that's what we do. We require them to just save their money. And then when they graduate out, they have a little nest egg. Yeah. And then they don't have to go back. Yeah. And we teach them how to save. We teach them financial literacy. And I actually just did that this morning before I came here. The financial advisor that works with It's Going to Be Okay is on top of something with another young lady that's in the program right now. And that's what it's about. It's, it's about making sure that they, are, they get the hand up, not the hand out, but the hand up, and not pull yourself up by the bootstraps because you can do that, but why can't we help them? They're not asking for a hand out. They just want a hand up and to be helpful. And that's what we do. That's what it's going to be okay do. And I, this is what I love to do. There, yeah, there's a lot of organizations that's out here, but it's not those that are in the trenches like we are. Yeah. We're really doing the work. Yeah. We are really out here. We are literally, if we're out there in the trenches and somebody need a shirt, one of those women or those men will give them the shirt off their back just so that they can cover them up. They've been walking in heels for six, seven, eight, ten hours. They slept with 50 men per day. 
We will give them the shoes off our feet, our comfortable shoes. We will go barefoot just so that they can have that little comfort while they yet wait to figure out where we're going to put them. That's what we do. That's why I ask for the socks. That's why I ask for the flip-flops. That's why I ask for all the things that I ask for because those are needs, basic needs. That's what it's about. I love that, Tanya, and that is the exact kind of people that we, or charities and organizations like yours that we're looking for that are getting involved in these very important missions to break generational curses, to raise the vibration of the planet for generations to come, people that are out there in the trenches doing the work. I know, girl, not only are the hours exhausting and the work exhausting, but the energy that you take on and alchemize within yourself to continue to heal and love every day is probably the most inspiring part to me personally about who you are. Because I know that it's not only physically tiring, but it's, it's, that's a lot to take on your yep. soul. And you do it with so much grace and so much love and compassion and empathy, like you said. Yep. So I just Therapy am, works real good. I love therapy. And of course, I work out, you know, most of four to five days a week, you know, 5.30 to 6.30, and then I'll get my day started with, with the clients. Yeah. And it's, it's like, you gotta do what you gotta do and go on to the next day, and then you do it all over again the next day. And that's what keeps me going is to my whys. My whys are them. My whys are my grandchildren to see that they don't have to suffer or I can protect them. Those, those are my whys. Those are really my whys. So it's going to be okay. I, I love I love us. I, I love I love what we stand for. I love how we stand for it. And of course, y'all know we have the gala every year, mm -hmm. and I'm looking forward to that. So we also need sponsors and donors for that. Um, all the young ladies get to come back. You get to see where your money go. I love this part. Mm -hmm. I, I freaking love it because I kept doing this because one of my young ladies said, and she she came from Fort Worth, and she said. This was the first time I've been dressed up not to be sold. And I kept doing it. And I kept doing it. And so every year she comes and she goes, Miss Tanya, I get to pick out my dress. Whatchamacallit uh, donates the dresses. Terracosta, oh they donate dresses. Shoes. And I, I mean, I'm just, shoes come from everywhere. Uh, we had one uh, organization in New York. They mailed us so many gowns and just everything. And it's like, yes. And we just, we hang them up. They come in, they're pampered. We have hairstylists, we have a makeup artists. They come in, donate the best in Dallas for work. They give me their time and they just do it. And it's about those young ladies. And you can go on the website and you can see where we just pamper them. That's it. We, we I was going to ask you, for anybody out there that wants to get involved, right? They yes. want to donate, they want to maybe volunteer, what is the place where they can go find you and it's not going to be, a, or it's going to be okay, sister? Um, www.igtbok.org. Okay. And you can find us and then you can actually Google me, Tanya Stafford. And I am on uh, Instagram, Tanya underscore survivor dot activist. And I'm pretty much everywhere. I'm not on Facebook right now, but I am on, I'm still on Instagram. And I just, I just do the work, but go to the website. You'll see my story. You'll see the things that I've done. I've gotten laws passed. So House Bill 2290, making January Human Trafficking Prevention Month here in the state of Texas. So oh, that's a bill that. I got passed in 2015. And then um, the documentary, Be the One, done by the Attorney General. 
Um, that's a nationwide documentary. That's my story. Um, so I did do that. And then uh, a lot of bills that have been passed up under me. Um, just getting it done. Just, yeah, I do it all. Where can we watch the documentary? You can go on the Attorney General's website, and it's also posted on my website. Okay. So you can click on the link. Um, it's, uh, it's going to be OK's website. And then the link is right there. And you get to see the documentary. You get to see the house oh, that I was kept it. in. You get to see, you know, my neighbor's house. You get to see all of that. You, you do. You get to see that. It's, it's really real. Yeah. I'm really, really real. Yeah. You know, somebody's <laughs> like, are you really real? I am really, really real. And it's just, you know, something that I share with, I share the, myself with the world so that they can know that there was hope. There was hope. Even when life is lifing, there's hope. Oh, I love it. There's Even hope. when life is lifing. Girl, life be lifing. <laughs> and it's like, but there's hope. There's hope. And that's what I hope to leave behind is that I was a beacon of light and hope to somebody that didn't have any hope or lost hope or lost, you know, just a compassion or they just lost their way. But there's hope. People will restore your hope in people. And that's what it's about. For some reason, I just, well, not for some reason, we all know what the reason is, but I just have this overwhelming feeling. I feel that, I feel that a girl's gonna hear the podcast that, need, that needs you. I feel, that the, I feel that this podcast being out there is going to give people the courage to come forward that yep. wouldn't otherwise do it. Be and free. I'm, I'm sure your story in yep. general does that, but I was just thinking this podcast right now could save a generation. Yep. A lady could hear this right now and yep. know that she can come forward yep. and that today could be her first tomorrow, yep. right? What'd you say? Her, a new tomorrow. A new tomorrow can yep. be today. Yep. And you just gave her the the way to reach out to you and the way yeah. to know that somebody cares and can be trusted. And so I just love that so much. Amanda, did you have anything else for her? I'm over here crying. I'm like, uh, I'm glad this is the last podcast because I probably got black stuff on my face, but I don't even know. But I'm like, what a beautiful story. Yeah, what a beautiful story. And you know, the wild part is, is we knew it before we ever even got to the uh, got to the summit in Dallas that day. We knew it was coming. We knew it was coming quick. We're so grateful that it came through Dr. Tanya Stafford and grateful to be a part of your ripple effect in the this wild world, part sister. is sister that i have never i have never been involved with anybody or have i known anybody that has survived sex trafficking so it is it was wild to me that that was the main thing put like the first thing put on my heart was yeah. i'm like that needs to be that needs to be addressed yeah. that has to be addressed and i prayed for because i didn't know where to go i'm like I feel like I need to be helping that specifically. And then we walk in in Dallas and there you are. Yeah. <laughs> there was nothing else was, to tie me to that. Yeah. It was like a week before we were on the phone with one of the other CEOAF coaches, Coach Mercedes Davis, and she had brought it up, both sex trafficking, but before she brought that up, she had brought up um, helping the teens yeah. in, in the world that they're in of, you know, false online situations all the all the things well long story short sex trafficking came up right after that and it was that moment where kimba and i we just could not put it down it was being written on all of our papers for spirit of agape it was being brought up every other minute but but it was like a dead-end road if you will so for kimba to to uh be praying on it that morning that morning and then to hear casey ha hastings talk about it at that dallas networking event at 7 a.m 
I remember our heads whipped back so quick to see who she was referencing in the back of that room. And when we couldn't find you, Tanya, my whole heart sank. I was telling everybody, I am on a mission to find that woman. I need to know where that woman went. And you were nowhere to be found. And we were headed out of the building. Yep. And here you come. The event's over. People are packing up. They're gone. Kim and I are two little late last stragglers kind of walking out. Our yep. people are already Me in the too. car. Yeah. I remember we had people walking back in an hour later. We're sitting there chatting with Tanya. But I'm just like, what a blessing was this? What a great, great blessing was this? Because there you were that day. And um, and I remember you had recently gone through, uh, gone through, and, uh, you know, it's not easy being the boots on the ground by any means. And nobody ever said it would be. But, um, but man, is it one ripple effect you are leaving. And I could not be more grateful. I'm just going to have to continue to pray and spread the blessings. I guarantee... Um, I guarantee it's going to get closer and closer. We're going to be able to find these homes that can house you guys. We got a lot of information on housing last time after we left. Um, and like Kimba was saying, it is our mission to see what we can do to find more of these spaces for your people. Uh, and so I am I am interested to chat with you a little bit more because we, we might have a couple of properties. We just have to figure out location, pricing all the things and what we can do there. But um, but as we were chatting today, I'm like, I think we're on to something. I also almost forgot we're on a podcast. So I'm over here. Just, <laughs> I'm over here talking like we're all hanging out right now. But, no, um, right. I'm like, well, that's us. the best kind of podcast that we always do anyway. We're just going and flowing with it. I just love it so much. Thank you all so much. I, I really appreciate y'all. I really appreciate the love, the support. Um, y'all give me hope. Like y'all give me hope, y'all give me the strength, the courage to keep going and know that there are good people still left in this world that don't want anything from you but to help. And that's what I tell the girls. There, there are, are still good people left. There are. There are a lot of people, myself included, that truly find the blessing in being able to give the love. And it's because I have received so yeah. much, right? But to be able to be on the giving side of that and it's powerful where the girls are right now too to allow themselves to be a receiver yeah. because it's not always easy yeah. to come out of the situation that they're in and to receive love and to receive help and to receive hope and to believe in that. And believe so I respect their bravery and their strength that I'm like, what strong souls came and contracted into that experience in this life? I tell you what, um, and Amanda brought up Mercedes and another, so we have the Spirit of Agape, another 501c3 that we started this year is called Life Skills for Teens. And we have little girls that come in. Um, I mean, the youngest ones maybe being like eight years old. My daughter's 12, she goes to it, but all the way up, you know, through their teenage young adult years. Yeah. And Mercedes is actually teaching a class at the Life Skills for Teens event. We do it once a quarter. Um, but if any of your teen, any of the kids, teenagers want to yeah. come to this, they learn credit repair, they learn oh, kitchen okay. safety, they learn how to apply for jobs, how to interview for jobs, yeah. etiquette, CPR, safe medicine. But one of the Mercedes is such a beautiful spirit herself, but she teaches a class on safe sex and healthy relationships. Yeah. And I was in there grabbing content and all the things that I do and just listening to Mercedes just crush it with these young ladies. But there was a little girl in there. It was about 11 or 12 years old. And she asked one of the most powerful questions that just, I had to actually leave the room. I don't know. I mean, I just was overcome with emotion. I leave the room because I could tell that she needed the answer. Yeah. She wasn't asking a question for no reason. Yeah. And she looked and she felt safe enough with Mercedes yeah. because Mercedes has that energy where you do feel safety in her presence. Yeah. 
And she said, what happens? What do I do if a boy starts touching me in a way that I don't feel comfortable with? What do I do? And Mercedes answered her just so, so beautifully and, and, and encouraged her in all the ways. I had to step out of the room because I thought, you know, they really do deal with that. Yeah. At that age, they yeah. really are dealing with that. And they dealing really don't know yet yeah. what they're supposed to do. Yeah. They don't know what they they're supposed know. to do. And if they're being taught that they're supposed to do something different yep. than Mercedes said, yep. then that's what they think that's that they're supposed they, to do. Yep. Yep. And so missions that we're doing on just educating safe relationships, safe boundaries, and having a place where young women can come to, to people like yourself. I'm grateful to be a woman. I would, Amanda, and I, guys, y'all can come to us too, right? Like. There are women out here that love and yeah. there are men out here that yeah. love and care. There are people yeah. out here that there love and people. care. And most importantly, you do have a God that does care. Yeah. And if you open your heart to that faith, he, he, it, whatever you want to say, will continue to put the people in your path that you need. And yeah. I know that as I continue to pray that I will be used as that same beacon because I'm willing to. Because yes. I'm willing to open myself to be a vessel just like you are, just like Amanda is, just like Mercedes is, just like our whole tribe and Yay. your team and our team and everybody is. So if you're out there today and you need hope, I hope you found it in this podcast. And I hope that you will click the share button to continue to get this mission right here in our own backyard just out, guys. We've got we've got to have these conversations. I know it's not the most enjoyable hour-long podcast to sit down and listen to things that are as dark energy of yes. this, but the thing is is that it does happen, and it is out there, and the only way for us to alchemize the darkness is by covering it with love and light. Yes. And, Tanya, you're out there doing that, so thank you so much, sister. Will you say that website for them one more time? IGTBOK.org. IG. T T B O K dot org. It's going to be okay. Dot org. And that's O N K. It's going to be O N K. Okay. So I G T B O K dot org. So it's the acronyms. I love that. That's perfect. So you guys go check out that website. Hit the share button. And again, be part of the ripple effect, guys, of raising the vibration of the planet because when we heal, when we heal ourselves, we heal others. And when we heal others, we heal generations to come. Yes. So between now and next podcast, stay CEOAF and follow your heart and your intuition on what God's calling you to do to help raise the vibration of the planet, even when it feels scary. Right, Dr. Tanya? Yep. (laughs) And especially maybe when it feels scary. Yep. Do it scared. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. We love you guys. We'll see you all next podcast.